Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. So if you saw or heard our interview on the Ohio Agnet podcast for our 100th episode, you know that Elizabeth is currently on maternity leave. And so we pre-recorded most of the summer's episodes, but we wanted to do a corn disease update in season so we can share any observations and recommendations with you as you prepare to make those fungicide decisions here in the coming weeks. So since she's on leave, Elizabeth is unable to join us today, so I'm going to try to do my best without her. Last year, we saw unprecedented occurrences of tar spot in fields across the northwest and western counties of Ohio, and the effect it had on foliage was unlike anything I had ever seen in my career, um, taking those perfectly green fields to brown in a matter of weeks in some cases. And unfortunately, we know very little about tar spot, um, but as always, Dr. Pierce Paul and his colleagues are working to find answers for us. So today he joins us to give an update on tar spot and other corn diseases. So welcome, Pierce, please introduce yourself. Thanks, Amanda. As Amanda said, um, I'm Pierce, uh, the corn and small grains pathologist here at the Ohio State University. And I've been working um, with colleagues across the region to, to help find some answers for tar spot. So there's quite a bit of work being done and I'll summarize some of the research we're doing, but I do understand concerns about possible tar spot problems this year, because like Amanda said, we had unprecedented levels of tar spot last year. Um, but each year is different. So one of the things we really wanna do is monitor the growing conditions and walk fields. There's no substitute for walking fields to looking to look for tar spot. Um, typical symptoms, as the name of the disease suggests, would be tar-like lesions on leaf, and they can be found as early as these early V stages. There's been one report of um, tar spot in another state at on V5, V6 corn. So it wouldn't it would make sense that we start looking as well. But a couple of pointers to help you think about tar spot and risk of tar spot. I compared three locations last year in the state of Ohio, one with no tar spot, one with moderate levels of tar spot, and then the northwest corner of the state with high levels of tar spot. So those would be my research plots at Hoytville, Northwest Ohio and Wood County, here in Worcester in Wayne County, and at South Charleston in Clark County. Wayne County had no tar spot, South Charleston had moderate levels of tar spot, and um, Wood County, um, Hoytville, Northwest Research Station, had the highest level of tar spot among these three locations. When I looked at the weather conditions at these three locations, temperatures were quite similar. And total amount of rainfall was between eight and 10 inches during the months of July and August. So rainfall conditions <clears throat> were quite similar as well. What differed substantially between the three locations was how this rainfall was spread out across the growing season. In other words, across the two months, <clears throat> if we focus on Ju July and August, um, Northwest had more rain spread out across the, uh, the two months than at Western or at Worcester. 
So what that tells me is not only the amount of rainfall, but how consistent or how frequent these rainfall events are during the growing season is gonna affect tar spot development. Another reason why Northwest had more tar spot than Hoytville, sorry, than Worcester and South Charleston is Northwest is located in what I consider to be the hot spot of tar spot in, in the region. It's close to Michigan, it's close to Indiana, and those states have fairly high levels of tar spot. So Northwest is located where I think more spores are coming in. So it, it's basically the disease triangle all over again. If we've got spores coming in from neighboring states, like likely was the case at Northwest, and we've got frequent rainfall spread out throughout the month of July, months of July and August, then we're likely to have um, high tar spot levels. So those would be indicators, those would be cues or clues to help you decide whether you should be concerned about tar spot. And most importantly, where and when you should start scouting. I, I like I said, you can start looking um, as early as these V stages, but um, July would be critical to start scouting. So the fact that it's been found in Indiana, is that concerning considering we get a lot of those winds from the west, southwest? Good question. Um, the, the, the good news is, if there's a good news when you find a disease, um, it, was, it was found in western Indiana. So it's far from um, our, our, our production region in general, but spores move around fairly easy on the wind. But that being found that or this early suggests that it could, if conditions are right, obviously, and the, and the hybrid is susceptible, it could blow up pretty early as well. And the, and, and the more disease you have in a given reason, the more spores are produced, and the greater likelihood of these spores to be disseminated to new areas. I wouldn't consider that to be a concern yet. What I'm raising awareness here is for people to be vigilant, make sure you go out there in scout fields, especially if you're in the north, um, north and western portion of the state. Like we saw last year, it can spread far and wide, but my would consider uh, Northwest Corner still our major area of concern in terms of tar spot. Okay. And so as far as last year went, we saw that there were hybrids that were less susceptible, more resistant to it, but we don't necessarily know what those are yet. Unfortunately, correct? unfortunately, we don't know those. We don't have that hybrid information. Seed companies would be the ones in control of that information if they do know themselves. And if you have any information from a seed company regarding reaction to tar spot, that would be useful to have. But we definitely see differences among hybrids in terms of susceptibility to tar spots. If you can, one, put your finger on a hybrid that a company um, indicates is less susceptible, because nothing is resistant, I would say less susceptible mm -hmm. to tar okay. spot, that would be the one to plant. Or if you've got it in your field, you know, you're less at risk for that, for tar spot in that particular hybrid. If you've got one that your company says, you know what, it's susceptible or I don't know, then you probably want to scout that field just to check to see what's going on. Every week, once a week would be good enough. If you had a hybrid last year that was susceptible and you know you planted again this year, again, you want to be very, very vigilant. Um, scouting is important because the best control of tar spot with fungicide is often seen when that application is timed correctly. You still want to target that VT, R1 growth stage for your application, but you want to time it as soon as you start seeing lesions develop. So if they start seeing lesions before VTR1, should they apply then? 
my my inclination would be um you know these fungicides don't last the efficacy don't last um for two three weeks sometimes you know so you really want to target it right so that it doesn't impact grain yield or grain fill so if you see it depends on how much you see before vtr1 you would want to scout again and i i um i'm probably going to put out a newsletter article on scouting and quantifying so that you can scout quantify incidents then go again and scout a week after see if incidence is increasing that would give you an idea of it's if it's spreading within the field so that you can make a decision that way okay right and then is it the typical fungicides we apply for other diseases that you would recommend at this point right tar spot fungicides are very almost the same set of fungicides we use for all diseases but what we've seen and i say we um by referring to most of the work done by my colleagues is fungicides with mixed chemistry, a mixture of active ingredients tend to be more consistently effective against tar spot. You can have a single active ingredient fungicide give you tar spot control, but when my colleagues compared the single active ingredient fungicides with fungicides with two or three modes of action, they see consistently better control with the two or three mode of action fungicides. So my inclination at this point in terms of recommendation of fungicides for tar spot would be look for something with a mixture of a triazole and a QOI or a combination of a triazole, QOI and SDHIs, SDHI, because those have been the most consistently effective against tar spot. And this is based on data from fields where tar spot is endemic, where they've got fairly high levels of tar spot. So they've got better conditions to test these fungicides and evaluate their performance. Right. So I guess we'll hope for, I mean, we certainly need rain at this point, but maybe some bigger rains, although we want them to soak in so we can get a good amount of moisture, but not have it consistently every week through July. That's exactly. We can only hope, but right. If, yeah. if we do have <laughs> consistent rain yeah. during July, and again, it still depends on spores coming in. If there's yeah. no spores coming in, then you can have consistent rain without seeing tar spot. And that's why it's so tricky to make a prediction. But, um, you know, if you're in the Northwest corner, the likelihood of spores coming in is much greater. And if you've got a uh, frequent rainfall in July, then the risk is gonna, is gonna be higher. I know I've had folks asked about the um, tar spotter app developed at Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I have not tested that app, app yet in Ohio, but I'm doing so this year with a new student who joined my program. So, um, you know, stay tuned for what we find. I think um, it's a good tool, um, but I like to make sure we've, we test what we call validate the tool on the Ohio's conditions before we actually start making widespread recommendations. It's free. It's, a, it's, it's on um, the App Store. It's also on Google Place. So anybody can basically download it and, and play around with it. But um, I'm not using it in my recommendations quite yet until such time that I have some more Ohio specific data on how well it does. Okay, awesome. Thanks for your work on that because I know it's certainly concerning when something new like this comes in. So let's shift a little bit to our more common uh, diseases, gray leaf spot, things like that. What are your recommendations for those diseases? Scouting once a week again, or what differences should we look for? with our more common ones. Right, um, you know, if you think common diseases in Ohio, I would say really spot of northern corn leaf blight are still our two most common diseases and the ones we should be looking out for. It's a little bit on the early side because most of those diseases, both of those diseases 
are what we typically call mid to late season diseases. So you would start seeing Rayleigh spot increasing in severity and frequency as you get close to tasseling. So it's still a little bit on the early side. With one exception, one year we had Northern corn leaf blight show up in V15 plants, but even, even so, Northern corn leaf blight would typically show up even later than Rayleigh spot after brown silk. So we're still on a little bit on the early side for those two diseases, but again, scouting, looking, walking fields for diseases. And I've got, you know, two postdocs going around looking at 40 different fields. So I'm gonna give, you know, you guys week weekly updates on disease progress across the state through um, the corn newsletter articles to give you an idea of what's going on. But on your own, you can you can start scouting for those diseases as well as you get towards the late V stages into early R stages to see if there's northern corn leaf blight. Unlike tar spot, we've got good, better resistance among hybrids for both Grayley spot and northern corn leaf blight. And seed company would have information on hybrid reactions. If you've got a hybrid and you're not sure, you can check with your seed company to see if it's, it's resistant. And if it's resistant, then the likelihood of having Grayley spot or northern corn leaf blight is much reduced on a resistant hybrid compared to a susceptible hybrid. And I wanna stick a pin here because people hear the word resistance. Resistance, they think zero disease. There's no hybrid with zero disease. These are quantitative type resistance. You're gonna get some disease, but less than you would get on a susceptible hybrid. So just to make sure we are getting out there scouting. There is a balancing act there, I think, because a lot of people have trouble getting planes last minute Absolutely. and they're hiring it. And so any advice on making those decisions? Right, so that, that's always a challenge. I mean, it's easy for me to make a recommendation here uh, with a fixed growth stage in mind, but I know producers and crop advisors are, are dealing with issues related to not getting your applicator on time or you can't get a ground rig or guys don't wanna run over their corn with ground rig. So these decisions are much more difficult than me simply saying target a specific growth stage. You still want to make sure you try to get, I'd say you have a nice window between um, tassel and brown silk. That would be the window. So hopefully you can get your, your applicator in time. If you see the risk of disease is high, you can get your applicator in time between within that window to make your application. And you asked earlier about fungicide uh, for tar spot versus leaf diseases. If you choose a fungicide program that's effective against tar spot, it's more than likely gonna control gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight as well. So you don't have to think about fungicide separately for tar spot, gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight. The same product that's gonna control tar spot is gonna give you effective control of gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight. The opposite is not necessarily true. Some of the single active ingredient fungicides are still excellent again against gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight, but they're not as consistently effective against tar spot. So that's the game. You're gonna to have to play. Yeah. yeah, so that's where boots on the ground really comes into play because I'm sure those Absolutely. three active ingredients are much more expensive than a single. So if you're planning on putting on a fungicide, then it's kind of making the decision of how much to put on, what products to put on. Excellent idea, Amanda, yes, because the three active ingredient fungicides are generally the newer products and they're probably more expensive than the older single active ingredient fungicides. So if tar spot is your concern, then you need to really scout those fields to make sure you're making a decision because the cost is gonna, is gonna make the big difference. You're gonna get effective gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight control, 
but you're going to get it at a higher price than if you only had really spot and autumn corn leaf blight and you could have used a single active ingredient fungicide instead. So keep those things in mind as you make your decisions. And you said that these products don't have a lot of residual, correct? Is that Right. Residual varies. Let's let's put it that way. Residual varies depending on the product, depending on the weather conditions. So you can't you can't necessarily and I haven't done specific research on residuals in corn. I've done it in wheat and see residuals can be reduced by 50 percent in in seven to nine days in wheat. I don't I'm not going to say that translates necessarily to corn because we're dealing with a separate set of compounds and active ingredients. But I would say, don't think that this thing is going to last two to three weeks. The general thinking is that, oh, these things can last up to 21 days. Mm -hmm. I don't believe they're going to last that long. So, you know, plan to make sure you make your timing at a time when you're going to have at least a seven-day window with good protection. Yeah. And with that, my line of thought was, if you had tar spot last year, you're out there scouting you know, a week before tasseling and you don't see any, there's probably not a reason to put it down anyways, because it's not going to get that August timeframe protection necessarily. That's that's a reasonable um, assumption to make. But remember, these things have what we call latent period, because it can be in that plant, you're not seeing it yet. And that's why we always give people a seven-day window, five to seven-day window, depending on the weather, to go out and scout again, because it might not be showing up today but it's in that leaf and it's latent and it's gonna pop out in five to seven days. So it doesn't hurt to go back again and 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 scout because remember you still have up until brown tassel to make your application decision. If you don't see it at tassel, then don't, don't assume it's not there, scout again. Okay, great point. Real quick, we're recording this about a week ahead of release. So wheat harvest is just starting um, have you heard anything? What have you have you seen in your plots? If we have much disease in wheat, it seemed like right around spray time, it's kind of when the projection tool blew up. I guess it was mm-hmm. <laughs> it was kind of right. like one week it was fine, and the next week it was like right right, around, right after flowering. Then we were pro- um, you the tool was projecting a lot more for the fusarium head blight. That's correct. It, it changed drastically on us because the weather changed. And that's typically what happens. We had some cool days and all of a sudden it got, it got warm. We, we had moisture almost throughout, but then it changed from, from cool to warm fairly quickly. And that's when the, the predictions change. Obviously, the changing prediction meant that um, some guys were caught off guard in the sense that they didn't necessarily apply a fungicide. One of the things we have to be careful here, I've had um, folks approach me and say, hey, Pierce, we applied a fungicide and we still got head scab. Is it because we applied late? Not necessarily. Remember, fungicides are going to give you, depending on the fungicide, depending on the resistance of the the, uh, variety, it's going to give you 50 to 60% control. 50 or 60% control doesn't mean zero scab. Mm-hmm. So you could have applied a fungicide within the six day window between flowering and early grain fill. You could have gotten, gotten it on then. It doesn't mean you're not gonna see um, head scab. You're still gonna see some head scab. Unfortunately, most times when this is done, there's no untreated strip left in the field. But if you had an untreated strip, then I can guarantee that you're probably going to see more disease in the untreated strip than where you treat. So you treat and you see head scab. Doesn't mean the fungicide didn't work. Doesn't mean the recommendation was incorrect. 
It just means that fungicide is not going to give you 100% control. In terms of overall patterns across the state, again, I've got my postdocs riding around looking at fields. In general, head scab levels are low, but there are some spots here and there, some pockets here and there with head scab levels that are easy to see. And if you're walking fields and you can see head scab without looking hard, then you have quite a bit of head scab. But those are the exceptions. Those are not the rules across the state. That's good to hear. We're expecting, I think, a big wheat harvest across the a lot of the state and good wheat prices. So absolutely. And the usual recommendation, if you if you if you you know walk your field before it dry down and you can see head scab fairly easily, then plan to you know increase your combine fan speed and the airflow through your combine to blow out those scabby um, scabby grains so that you reduce the level of amatoxin in your grain lot. That's still a strategy that have that has worked. We've seen it from research done in my lab. Um, so you want to really make sure you you have an idea of whether you had it head scab and then turn the fan, the fan speed up to blow out those scabby kernels because they're lighter than, than the regular plump healthy kernels. Okay, great advice. Pierce, thank you as always. Um, any resources you wanna direct our listeners to for more information? Right, the usual core newsletter, that's where I'm gonna keep updating um, information. Um, like I said, we're, we're playing around with uh, the Taurus spot models and we're looking at data from our research plots. We're still looking at other diseases that didn't blow up last year, like, like air rot. So we're gonna keep you uh, um, up to date in terms of what we're seeing and what our risk models are saying. So keep your eyes on the corn newsletter. That would be the best source of information as we get into the season and um, as the season progresses. I'm, I'm hopeful for a peaceful and quiet season in terms of diseases, but we still gotta be vigilant and smart about it. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thanks and good luck with wheat harvest. All right, thank you very much, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners. Just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.